Hi there, Glocal Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I'm Florence Adu, your host, and I'm so honored to have my guest that's with me for this episode. It's really a great opportunity. I think you'll really enjoy it. And so let me give you a little bit of background. He is a real estate mogul with over 30 years proven experience in the industry. He is the founder and CEO of TAF Africa Global, a pan-African real estate company that has built homes across eight African countries with dominance in Nigeria and the Gambia. Growing up from a small and humble background, when he founded TAF Africa Global in 1990, the goal was to be the leading property developer in Africa. In 2018, TAF redefined its vision as its mission to develop 1 million quality homes between 2018 and 2038. Three years in, I'm sure you all are excited and as excited as I am to find out how it's going. Mr. Mustafa, Njai, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much, uh, Florence. Um, uh, it's a pleasure to be on your program, and I'm thank all set and ready for your questions. Okay, wonderful. And I just want to make a note. This is so exciting to me because my other life outside of my life in Ghana is in real estate. I do real estate project management. My family's been in real estate for most of my life. So it's really nice to kind of meet someone who is at the, the height of that game. So, so with that in mind, tell us where you're from, where you are local, and what is your craft? My name is, well, I started in, in Gambia. I'm, I'm a Gambian, um, uh, born uh, 64 years ago, educated in the Gambia, trained in the Gambia, um, worked for about 15 years of my, of my life before I started my own business. So I'm Gambian, but um, these days I answer to be an African. Okay. And so where you're local then is in Gambia, it's all over, all over Africa. Where do you call home now, presently? Um, home is always Gambia. Home is always Gambia. Okay. For example, when, when, there's, uh, when there's celebrations, when there's feasts, I go home. I mean, my family okay. is still at home. You know, my, my wife is there. But um, if you ask me, let's say for the whole year, where do I stay? I mean, I, I stay probably about a third of my time in the Gambia. Two-thirds, probably, outside the Gambia. Okay, got it. And so to get a little bit more detailed about your craft, we know you're a real estate mogul. So what would you say is your craft? My craft, um, um, I would say I'm a builder. I mean, okay. um, I don't know whether you know, but I, I started my, my life as a, more like a carpenter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, my background and my passion um, came from, you know, picking up woodwork at school, at high school, and being very passionate about it. And uh, one thing that um, helped me in my life, uh, that I had no, no complex, no inferiority complex over my passion, which, is, which was carpentry, working with my hands. So those days at high school, I mean, I, I decided to take it up as a career. You know, I mean, I, I could have gone into university and um, taken up some white collar tra- um, training, but, but that's what I just developed. So at a very early age, I picked up a job, you know, first to teach in the in, in the Gambia, in the school that I was trained, you know, my after my O-levels. So I only had about three months break. I mean, after high school with my O-levels, then in September, I was employed as a junior teacher in the same school. So mm-hmm. that's how my working career started to date. 
So oh, from, wow. teaching, from teaching for about a year, a year and a half, I then got employed by an international construction firm as an engineer's assistant. Okay. And that's just how I went in for about another 13 years or so, or 14 years before I started my business. So everything in construction, I just picked it up. Yeah, yeah. So do you think that young people today can follow that path anymore, any longer? Well, I, I think they should. It's difficult mm-hmm. for them because society doesn't allow them to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, just imagine parents, I mean, who allow your, 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 your kids, you know, after high school, um, he says, well, mommy or daddy, look, I'm, I'm not going to go into tertiary education, but I'm going to be a carpenter. You know, and, and actually I, I fought hard to convince my parents that this is what I wanted to do. Mm, so even then? Even then, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you see, the problem is that anybody who was skillful in these things and wanted to take it up as a craft or as a trade, I mean, you were seen to be somebody who had failed in your education. Right. I mean, those who did all these craft or skills were seen to be, you know, um, uh, not successful in, in their education. So mm-hmm. the choice you had was to go and pick up a trade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is why probably more in, in Anglophone Africa, you hardly find good tradesmen. Mm-hmm. In, in, in French, in French um, um, Africa is different in the, in, the, in the Francophone because they're quite proud of, of their skills. And that is why everywhere in West Africa, you will find that the best of tradesmen are from the Francophonie. It's very true. And so what do you think is that issue? Is it that it's the British education system? Like, what is the influence that that has created that rift and that and essentially a gap? Because we do have a very huge gap in skilled trades workers. Yeah, I think, I think it's the, the British educational system that we inherited, you mm-hmm. know, and we don't want to change. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, if you leave it up to now, I am a very strong advocate that we need to change our curriculum. Yes, there's money in these skills. There's money in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, today, if you look at what good carpenters earn or good mechanics, you know, they earn good money. Yes. Mm-hmm. So and you're guaranteed of a skill. You don't have to pick up a job. You can work on your own, you know. Right. But it's just, it's just the society that's been looking down on these things. And it has to change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That, that can be done at a policy level. I mean, we need to have very strong leadership that will be, be bold enough to change our policies. I don't right. know about in other West African countries, but I have done some studies in Gambia, for example. Mm-hmm. In Gambia, I mean, probably about 10% of those who go to school will end up being qualified to go to, into, into, into university. Or even right. less. So right. really, you have to ask yourself now, the 90-something percent, where are they? And they are more or less semi-educated. I mean, mm-hmm. being educated to the level of, let's say, high school these mm-hmm. days doesn't learn you any job. Mm-hmm. So really, my my own view is that we need to pick up these kids as a very young age, say around the age of 14 or so, and then get them to pick up a craft or a skill. Right. So right. anywhere they go, they can earn a living. Yes. But I mean, that is bold leadership. Right? And, you know, I am an advocate that, look, these days we see in West Africa that quite a number of our young people die in the Mediterranean, you know, trying to go into Europe because they don't have mm-hmm. hopes, you know, of, of having a job. Mm-hmm. But if you train them to be skilled, even if they succeed in going across to Europe or anywhere, they'll pick up, they'll pick up good work. Mm-hmm. Or they can even be promoted. I mean, we see this quite often. I mean, for example, in Qatar, 
when they were building all the stadiums for the World Cup that's going to come. I mean, they didn't they imported skills. Yes. So, so imagine if we had, you know, tons of young Africans who are skillful. You can export them and they will be earning hard currency. Right. So right. across the continent, we really need to tra- train our young ones into, into some craft or some skills. Yes. And I would even say to your point about the idea that only 10% are qualified to really be successful in, you know, higher education or in a workforce, that it starts well before the vocational training stage, because what we have is semi-literate people because, and this is my own, you know, flag that I, that I wave all the time, because in the education systems that they're learning and they're learning in a foreign language. So if you are coming from speaking Wolof or, Fran- or a Gan language, Chui, Ga, Fanti, Igbo, any of those, and you are going into the educational system, there are policies that have been enacted, but they're somewhat loosely implemented because there are not even teachers who can teach in the local language to a level of proficiency for reading and writing for those students. So I agree with you that bold leadership is necessary, but we know that the leadership is failing. So how then do we push the dial on exacting better outcomes from the leadership class? Well, I mean, it takes a lot of advocacy, um, especially mm-hmm. those who are at the, um, in the employment end. Yes. Because without the supply of skills, we will fail. And that's what's yeah. been happening. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what people like us are doing now is, is training them. I mean, I, yeah. I have a training center. I have a foundation. So mm-hmm. in my foundation, one of the things I do is, is skills training. So I look mm-hmm. at the young people that I engage and, you know, pay them stipends and train them up, thinking that, look, when they're qualified, I have a job to offer them, you know, so they're not idling. But I think it needs, needs more concerted efforts. You know, we need to really lobby our policymakers because this can't be done alone or in any small scale. Mm-hmm. We need to address it at a, at a policy level, at a country level. Sure. You know, that, look, change your curriculum. It's not working. Change sure. it. It has to change. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So we'll be waving that flag for sure. So tell me, in in terms of employment and economics, how many workers in terms of getting to your billion million homes? I want to ask a little, I'll divert and ask a little bit more about how you're getting there. But from a worker's perspective, how many jobs do you see that creating? Twenty. I mean, uh, 25 million jobs. Wow. Wow. Over 20 years. Because look, for every yes. house that we build, we build affordable homes. We're building mm-hmm. homes between the size of 50 square meters to a maximum of 130 square meters. Okay. Now, these homes are very simple. I mean, there's not, nothing difficult about them. Mm-hmm. So I've worked it out that on average, you create 25 direct jobs for every house. Okay. So if you, if you build 20, a million homes, is a million by 25, which is 25 million jobs that you're creating. Sure, sure. And then yeah. in terms of your, your training and your capacity to train at this point, about how many, how many graduates do you have coming through your training programs? Well, we haven't had much. Um, and I would think probably we started quite, quite early. We, I mean, okay. lately. Yeah, so mm-hmm. we, we don't have much really. It's nothing significant. For example, okay. now we're, we're running a, an apprentices, a masonry apprenticeship program, which okay. is a, a, we have about 25 masons that we're training. Okay. okay. You know, but we have interns that come through us also, you know, from the main technical institutes. Right, right, right. But it's baby steps. So it's the idea that you're you're working through the curriculum, you're working through the process so that you then know how to scale 
and potentially, yeah. and this is in this is in the Gambia that you're starting. Yes, yes, in the Gambia. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so obviously Nigeria will be next because that's your biggest market currently. Yeah, but in Nigeria, what we did was informally we trained um, uh, some of the some of the community here as contractors. Mm. Okay. But it's not informal. We trained them, and today, you know, um, uh, they are working with us as as community contractors. Okay. Oh, nice. So nothing as, as programmed, nothing as as um, um, structured like what we are doing now. But we have mm-hmm. had a success over the past five six years of um, uh, community members that we have trained to be contractors. Because okay. let's face it, I mean, France, it's not difficult to lay a block. It's not. I mean, it's not difficult to lay a block, especially if you're making money out of it. Yes. If you seriously take, let's say, a young man, you know, to work, you know, intensively for about six months or so, you can leave him on his own to lay a block. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, and then as he practices, you know, he will be perfect. Yes. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, Masons are becoming the highest demand I've seen um, in my experience in Ghana as well. Between masons and electricians in the the construction space, their high demand and good ones are hard to come by. So the idea that you're training them, particularly on your specific building techniques and and those that can be transferable to other projects, is very commendable. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. I mean, apart from masonry, I mean, even the the the, the finishes of the work. I mean, for example, the POP. The plaster yes. of Paris, you know, I mean, that's, that's most, you need more skills for that. And they yeah. try an arm and a leg for it. I mean, tiling, you know, you make big money out of these things. So mm-hmm. uh, plumbing, the same thing, electrical, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, you just need to um, uh, showcase the success stories and probably what they're earning to encourage other young ones to come on board. Right. So speaking about earnings, you mentioned that you build affordable housing. And I've heard in some of your some of your conversations that you know affordable is based on the design to some extent and um, the quality of goods that you install. But but generally speaking, looking at the average income of the communities where you're building or where you're looking to attract, what actually is affordable from a dollars and cents perspective? I, I think affordable comes from about twenty thousand dollars. Okay. Anything okay. below twenty thousand dollars is social. I hope you, uh, you okay. know the difference between social and affordable. Yes. yes. So, mm-hmm. so for us, we play in the affordable um, zone. So therefore, mm-hmm. anything less than 20 for us is not doable. Yes, I get it. You know, so $20,000 going up, and then we cap it about a bracket of up to about maybe $50,000, $60,000, depending okay. on the size, the, the, the type of fitness. But anything more than that, we, we don't play in, in, that, in, that, in that bracket. Okay. So then, of course, these are what is a new tool in Pan-African Africa, to some extent, is mortgages. So you've partnered with a few institutions. I'm assuming these are the regional banks that do have a presence in each of the countries that you're in. So how how was that process of attracting them to partner with you and to just facilitate the, the mortgages for, for your properties? Well, um, um, yes, some of them are regional banks, um, like uh, GT, Bank. We also have a local bank, a strong local bank who's on board. Oh, okay. And uh, because, because they are liquid, you know, when, when they have a lot of liquidity, then they will talk to you. Because banks okay. in, in Africa in general or in yeah. in um, in um, Anglophone Africa, they lend mm-hmm. to government because, you know, government yes. never default. 
-hmm. you know, so they sit on treasury bills, you know. So when treasury bills go down, when the, when the returns are very low, they have to be innovative and lend out probably to the private sector. Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. we approached them and then now they are blending out to short and medium term on, on mortgages up to about okay. 10, 10 years. You know, 10 right. years is really medium. We haven't, yes. I mean, that is better than nothing, but, yeah. you know, um, it's, it's okay. And uh, we've got them to be lending out at about 9% um, per annum interest rate on hard okay. currency. Okay. On hard currency. And then mm -hmm. about 13, 15% on, on local currency, which is not bad. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's better than nothing. Yeah, it's so, better than nothing. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. it's innovative. We've engaged them, we've, we've, you know, challenged them to get into this. The reason probably they're going with us is because we, we have also um, our, our reputation behind us. Because you have to remember mm -hmm. also the supply needs to be right. Mm -hmm. Because if when you get into mortgages, you should know you should be assured that the contractor also delivers, the developer also de delivers, mm -hmm. and when he delivers, also he delivers quality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, um, it, it takes um, a lot of um, um, efforts to bring a package like this um, done. Sure, sure, sure. So speaking of partnerships, um, public-private partnerships. So. Quite a few of your projects were facilitated by the ability to secure land from the government. And so when you are in the process or, or working these out, and I ask this in the context of if a government came to you and wanted you to do social housing, is that something that you would consider? Oh, yeah, we will. We will. We okay. will. Actually, I just came, I just came from a, from a West African country, which is Francophone, and I, and I look at their policy on social housing, and they, what, what they're doing is right. What they have done is they, they, they had some funds, um, government, the central bank took some funds and lent it out to the commercial banks at 2% interest rate. Mm -hmm. And then they are now asked to, the central banks, sorry, the commercial banks are now asked to give out mortgages at 6%. So they make 4% out of it, so, and that's for social housing. Mm -hmm. Then uh, the land is also given by government. So that's at no cost to the contract. Okay. And then there are other incentives. I mean, like, like duty-free, tax-free, whatever. But when, once you do that, then you pay the price of the house. You can control it. Sure. And yes, for us, um, uh, we are more than happy to get into social housing if you have all those rights and the volumes are there. Because social housing, you can only do it when you have the volumes. It's like mass production. So we are very interested if, if you know, any government wants to approach us on those basis where, mm -hmm. you know, they will lend out both mortgages and construction finance at very low rates, provide mm -hmm. the land, give incentives, mm -hmm. and also, you know, offtakes. We want to yes. be sure. For example, yeah. if a government comes to us and say, look, we have 10,000 houses that we want to deliver. Mm -hmm. And yes, we'll pay you for every 100 or 200 that you complete. Then I'll go on a huge mass production, knowing very well that my cash flow is okay. I mean, as soon as I deliver the houses, within a stipulated time, money will be paid. Then I yeah. can turn it around again. Yeah. So it takes, you have, there are a lot of things that you have to put in place to be successful in delivering you know, social houses. So would you say this their scheme is the most innovative that you've seen to date for this? 
So okay. far, yes. So far, okay. yes, definitely. I mean, it hasn't been tested. And then what they've done, they've set up a home finance institution. Okay. So and what they do, I mean, they don't, they, don't, they don't actually lend you the money, but they do all the pre-qualification. You go and register with them, they vet you, and they will say, okay, fine. We have a number of people who are qualified for a mortgage. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a basket of clients that are waiting. Mm-hmm. For example, in this specific country, They've told me that, look, we have 12,000 applicants and 8,000 of them are qualified for a mortgage between twenty and $30,000. Mm-hmm. So the offtake is there. Yeah. Right. So now, if they can bring in the land and then obviously bring in some, some consequent, affordable consequent finance, then now that's my business now to now mobilize and make sure I feed the, and supply. Sure. And of course, it's all related. You know, the more jobs that a, an economy has and has capacity to have, the, the better it is, the more infrastructure jobs that there are. So it's all, you know, mixed together in that sense. So um, I have a question that I always ask, and it's it's why the where? So it's typically about where how you came to be living and working and playing where you are. But I want to focus it a little bit more on why the where in terms of the countries that you selected to start in. Well, I started in the Gambia naturally because that's where I was born. Um, uh, but Nigeria has always been my target. The reason being, it is the giant in, 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 in West Africa. I mean, half yeah. of the population of West Africa is Nigeria. And it's English speaking, the laws are more or less the same as the Gambia. You know, if I were to go into the Francophone countries, it would have been difficult. Language barrier, mm-hmm. things are not the same. Mm-hmm. But um, um, I can easily operate in, in Ghana, in Nigeria, you know, Liberia, Sierra Leone, because they are right. all English speaking. But right. um, I always tell people that, look, if I go hunting, why should I go after a rabbit when there's an elephant? Yeah. You know, so, so if I'm looking for, for, for meat, I mean, I better go for the elephant. Yeah, And absolutely. you also need to know about Nigeria. This Nigeria is comprised of 36 states. And yes. every state is it's a country, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So you have great opportunities here. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So, that so that, that's why that's why you know I targeted Nigeria, and then destiny brought me here too. So when I got the opportunity, I grabbed it. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got yeah. it. So then, but you are operating in some francophone countries. So so how did how did that then? Materialize. Well, I, I am registered. I am registered. I tried to operate in Senegal. Senegal okay. is the closest that I've operated in. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Mali, I also tried to operate. It was tough, so I had to close shop. Okay. Uh, for me, uh, in the Francophony, they're too bureaucratic. Mm. They are too bureaucratic. It's very difficult to operate. If you ask me, for me, the best place to do business is Nigeria. Mm. From my experience. Whereas everybody says, no, no, no. But for me, the best place for me as an English-speaking guy, you know, um, it's Nigeria. Um, mm. but, but the Francophone is the most difficult place I can do any business. Mm. They, are too, they are too bureaucratic. Too many wow. red tapes. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And that's, again, um, a vestige of their colonial past, I'm assuming. Yes, that's right. Yeah, a that's strong right. one. So, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Hmm. 
Okay. So take us a little bit deeper into life in the Gambia. Um, I want to know what you hear. So I have this question I asked. It's called Glocal Speak. So give us a word or saying or a phrase that's part of your everyday life that's that's a very Gambian phrase. Freestyle. Freestyle. Yeah. Okay. Very informal. I mean, in Gambia, okay. we are very informal. In Gambia, okay. you know, we're not materialistic. Sure. So... If you came to Gambia and you meet me, you will not differentiate me with somebody probably at the very lower base of the ladder. We don't have class structures in Gambia. Ah, interesting. Yeah, we don't have class structures. I mean, I can walk in the street in my hood and, you know, you will not know who I am. Yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah, I'm very Gambian. So, so, I mean, before there was a slogan in the Gambia where we say, Gambia, no problem. So there's nothing uh-huh. that is a problem in the Gambia. Now ah. we, 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 we branded, we're branded as the smiling coast of Africa. Because everybody smiles. We happy go lucky, you know. And that's why yeah. we do so well in tourism. Yes. You know, yes. That's why we have so many, you know, Europeans that are coming in. And once they come in, they fall in love with the place. The next thing you know, mm-hmm. they buy a property, they move over. Peaceful. But, but we're very humble. I mean, at times, people, when they mingle with me here in Nigeria or elsewhere, I mean, they pick this up and they think it's me. And I try to explain to them that, no, it's not me. I'm just Gambian. That's who we are. Yeah. You know, I mean, in other countries, you go there, somebody's looking at what you're wearing, with the shirt you're putting on. It's a designer stuff, the car you're driving. Mm -hmm. For us Gambians, a car is a car. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, what's the big deal? Right. You know, right. we're not conscious of these things. I mean, our life rotates around humility. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. I'm very excited. I have one of my close friends is from the Gambia. So I've been trying to get there when she's getting there next. So I'm definitely planning to visit, especially after. And I hear the beaches are beautiful and I'm a beach girl. So most oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's lovely. It's lovely. I mean, the beaches are, I go on the beach every day. Yeah. Yeah, I beach every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's lovely, lovely beaches we have, and the people are beautiful. The people are lovely. I am really proud to be a Gambian. Nice, nice, wonderful. So I want to ask you, knowing that you you've kind of turned this corner in your career, where you've you've been the mogul, you've done everything, and I know that you said it's it's difficult for you to retire, but but you're pivoting a bit in terms of who you, who you are and how you are approaching the next phase of your life. So tell us more about your your next quarter the last quarter which i call the the departure lounge yes yes did you hear you heard about the four quadrants of life yeah so please tell us tell my listeners share that with us yeah, well, the four quadrants of life for me my philosophy in life it's divided into four quadrants and that says life is real mm-hmm. and real stands for r for reliance e for execution a for actualization and L for, 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 for legacy. Okay. So, and it's divided. I'm looking at 80 years. Um, uh, you know, anybody who's 80, I think you should be thankful to God that you've reached that age. Mm-hmm. And after 80, really, you are not no more part of the equation. Okay. The equation of life. So, so the first 20, really, it's a reliance. So whatever you do, you rely on people, your parents, your guardians, you know, government, whatever. I mean, just think about it from zero to 20. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you are not independent. You don't do things for yourself. So that's the bracket, the quadrant that I call it. It's a reliance um, uh, quadrant okay. where you, you rely on people to, to on, your, on your life. 
Then mm-hmm. uh, quadrant number two is actualization. I mean, that's when you enter life. That's the time you start a family. That's the time you start a job. That's the time, you, you know, whatever you're starting, a business, you know, so between the ages of 20 and 40, that's the time you start it. Now, most people don't succeed in that, in that quadrant. Mm. You know, but, but there are values that you should have, you know, mm-hmm. work hard, you should be honest, your integrity must be preserved. Mm-hmm. Now, then you move, move into the third quadrant, which is actualization. Things need to happen. It's a make or break it. Most mm-hmm. likely, if you fail between the ages of 20 and 60, it's difficult to pick it up again. Yes. I'm not saying that you want, you right. know, so you need to actualize. Things need to happen. You know, then the last quadrant, which I find myself between 60 and 80, Mm -hmm. it's your legacy. Mm -hmm. You look back on what you have done and say, look, this is what I want to be remembered for. So, and then number two, I always tell people, look, you've committed so much sins in this world. That's the time that you repent. You know, spend more Mm -hmm. time with your God. You know, more prayers, you know, you are more um, uh, remorseful and, um, you know, uh, more godly. So for sure. me, those are the two most important things. My legacy, really, it's not on anything material. I don't want to be remembered for the houses I build. I don't want to be remembered for any wealth I leave behind. But I want to be remembered for the life that I've impacted. Mm. And that's what I work on now. And um, apart from anything else, I enjoy it. I have a passion for it. You know, I have a passion for leaving a legacy where I am impacting the lives of people. And the bracket that I have chosen is the youthful bracket. I have a foundation, you know, between the, I mean, a foundation where I work on youth empowerment. And the bracket that I target is between the ages of 18 and 30. Okay. Now, in this foundation, there are seven different initiatives. I mean, I host, this foundation is called Tough Africa Foundation. Mm-hmm. And I Tough host, yes, yes, and, and there's a website for it, you know, Tough okay. Africa. if you search it, you'll see the different initiatives we have. Mm-hmm. The main initiative is TAFCON. We've hosted TAFCON for about five years now, where we bring in all members of society together to discuss issues of national interest. Mm. You know, so that, that's tough call. I mean, we had even the president attended, you know, we've had Mrs. Fatou Ben Bensouda, who's just retiring as the chief prosecutor in The Hague, in the um, IC, in IC, ICC, the International mm-hmm. Criminal Court of Justice. You know, she was, the, she was um, um, a guest speaker. So we look at Gambians, very prominent Gambians who, are, who come in as guest speakers and then have some very good dialogue and across the board in Gambian society. So that, that, that's tough call. I have tough startups. Tough startups, I create a startup, a competition, where um, there's, a, there's a star price of $20,000 for the winner, um, $10,000 for the first runner-up, second runner-up gets $5,000. And then there are consolation prizes for seven, um, five, five, say the other seven finalists. You know, then I have the um, Tough Leadership Academy. Leadership for me in Africa needs to be addressed. It's, if there's anything that we need to address in Africa, it's leadership. So mm-hmm. rather than just complaining about our leaders, I thought I should invest in our future leaders. Mm-hmm. So we have an academy where we lecture, we teach these young ones who are mainly in tertiary institutions on 12 key values of leadership. And quickly, 
They are, the acronym for it is ICE Fade Chip. I C E F A D E C C H I P. Now, representing I for integrity, C for commitment, E for empathy, F for figurative vision, A for accountability, D for decision making, E for empowerment, C for good communication, another C for commitment. H for honesty, I for um, uh, innovation, and P for passion. Okay. So what I do is I bring in, you know, um, uh, credible Gambians, men and women of high integrity, who, uh, who, who should be seen as role models, and they give a lecture to these students. I first started about three years ago. The first cohort was 50. The second cohort, we, got, we were overwhelmed, and we tripled the number to 152. Mm. They were recently just graduated. Mm. Now, I've just opened up the third cohort and guess the applicants. 1,600. I'm sure. I'm sure. So, you know, we're finding a way to scale up because these kids need to be taught these basic values of life. Right. Exactly. At our age, the way we were brought up, we were brought up with our parents and our, our, our guardians, making sure mm -hmm. that these were inculcated in us. Mm -hmm. But society mm -hmm. has changed and we are missing yes. this. So yes. that's the Tough Leadership Academy. We also have a tough icon. The tough mm -hmm. icon is we look at, you know, a Gambian around the age of 70 who's retired, you know, who mm -hmm. has done so much but not recognized. Mm -hmm. So we recognize him or her and then give him or her an accolade, celebrate her. Mm -hmm. You know, then we have the um, uh, Club 10. Club 10 is a network of tough enterprise network. So we, we, we get young entrepreneurs and we network amongst ourselves. By the way, I'm called the youth man because I classify myself as a youth. Okay. You know, then I, yeah, the, the last one is the, um, um, the Gambia Disability Trust Fund. We look at the disabled and also empower them by giving them seed money, for, for business. Okay. So this is what okay. my foundation is about. And um, uh, we fund it. We don't look out for funding. Okay. Because in our day, you'll find, you'll find that most of these NGOs or, or initiatives like this are being funded internationally. Right. So I have said, no, I am African. I am Gambia. I'm mm -hmm. going to put my own money where my mouth is. Right. So it's 100% being funded by my business. Okay. So I've committed 1% of my company's revenue into my foundation. Okay. Okay. So, so yes, this is what in my last quadrant that I enjoy. I love it. I love doing this. And I'm thinking day in, day out, just how to scale up. And also try to influence others who will emulate what we're doing so that we can change the narratives. Right, exactly. And so the question I have for specifically going back to leadership and ensuring that we have prepared young people to move into those spaces. I, I'm a big science fiction reader, and I recently read as part of a trilogy. One of the one of the stories storylines was that there were a group, a group of elders that were focused on grooming leaders. It's kind of a secret society type of thing, where you know. You didn't know who they were. They were just kind of this mysterious group, but they were kind of luminaries secretly, and they were grooming these, these people to do this. So in the theme of that, who would you, if you were to put together an all-star team of mentors for a, an emerging leader, so someone who you see as being a president in 20 years, 
What five people would that team be made of? Well, whoever they are, they have to have certain qualities. Okay. That's what you look for. I mean, regardless of who it may be, mm-hmm. what do you look for? You look for values. Okay. What are the values that he or she has to make him a good leader or, a, or her a good leader? Mm-hmm. And that's what I prophesy. That look, because quite quite a number of people, like the youth, are claiming, "Oh no, no, it's our turn. Not too young to lead, but it's not not too old to lead." Also, a very good example mm-hmm. is Malaysia. What happened to Mahathir Mohamed? He came back at the age of over ninety years, and he did well. So leadership is not about age, it's not about gender, it's not about pride, it's not about creed. Leadership is about values. Mm-hmm. What value do you carry to lead? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, those values that I listed, if you have those values, you will be an excellent leader. If you don't okay. have everything, at least have some of those values in order to be able to lead. I love that you put honesty as one of your key key features as well. And so as a value and honesty, how do you ensure that that is how you're operating in all of your business dealings? Because you're in, you are in a space that is rife with corruption, potentially. You know, there are so many opportunities along the, the vertical for things to go sideways. And so how do you ensure that there, there's always this level of honesty that, that, you, that your team is dealing with? You know, you know what led me to doing real estate development, private real estate mm-hmm. development? It's honesty. I mean, not 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 wanting to, because I was, I used to um, uh, get involved in contemporary uh, conventional construction bidding. Yes. Mm-hmm. I couldn't stand it. Mm-hmm. Because you know the game, there's only, only time yes. something on the table. Mm-hmm. So I decided, no, I cannot do this. And this was way back in 1996. That was the last time I bidded for a job. Mm. Even now, anybody who calls me for a bid, they don't invite me for a bid. I said, no, 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 I'm sorry, I don't bid. Mm-hmm. I have something I can offer, so I only negotiate. If you want my houses, if you want this, I can do this. Not many can do it. Got it. So, mm-hmm. so, so you must be very strong on your beliefs. Mm-hmm. So in order to do this, there are certain things that you must do. That's number one. For example, I was making a presentation in another um, African country mm-hmm. who invited me. The first thing I did was, you know, a pool of, um, um, of public servants and the ministers were all there. First thing I said, please, I don't encourage corruption. If anybody is in here thinking that he needs to get something out of this, I'm sorry. Let me pack my bags and leave. So they get the message from day one. Sure. Say, yeah. If we do it right, you will benefit because we'll provide so many affordable housing that you will benefit. And your own close ones will benefit. Everybody will benefit. Yeah. But you yeah. also need to practice. You need to develop a team that believes in these things. Mm-hmm. Because honesty is in every relationship that you enter in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you don't preach one and then do the other. For example, I mean, looking again on corruption and dishonesty in Africa, you cannot have somebody at the very top of, 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 of the society, you know, mainly in political life, be doing all the corruption. And then you have an orderly who is a policeman or an officer who sees everything that goes around and you expect him to be honest. That's not possible. They are the ones that if there are any big you know, bags of cash that are going, you will never carry it yourself. They are the ones who carry it. 
So what are you? What message are you sending? Right. So it must be practice. Yeah. And it's at times it can be tough, but once you get there and you are branded, that's the easiest thing you can have in life. I will tell you, for example, here in in, in River State, we have we have we have we have we have moved from one one governor to the other. You know, meaning from one party. Yes. When we first signed our PPP, it was with one party and uh, uh, the governor who was sitting. Now it's somebody different who's, who's more or less in the opposing party. Mm-hmm. But the business is still ongoing. Reason being that everything we did was very transparent, off-board. So there was no nowhere that you can find any iota of corruption that happened. So we're still operating. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. one thing, you know, it takes two to tango. Yes. Corruption can only happen in Africa between businessmen and politicians. Sure. Sure. So so really, if we the businessmen say no, we are not going to approach and corrupt you, then mm-hmm. it will stop. Mm-hmm. But if we cannot be saying that the business the, the politicians are corrupt, whilst we are the ones who engage in in it on the on the other hand. Right. So right. it takes to the right. tango, and, and you have whatever you are you are preaching, you need to practice it. At every level, huh? Every level. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of governments and, you know, globally people have been thinking, well, how do we, how do we fight corruption? Like, what, what are the tools, the techniques? I mean, you, you yourself have made your own determination, but what are some of the, the systematic tools or techniques that you might suggest to counter this? Because ultimately it's about greed. It's about cutting corners and about greed. So, you know, you pay off because you want to get this project and you don't, you may not necessarily have the skills or you do have the skills and you want to ensure that you get it because ultimately it's about, you know, making money or what have you. So what are some of your thoughts on, on anti-corruption? I think what, look, look, we need to look at um, uh, what are the things that have been successful in Africa? What have we done successfully in Africa? Mm-hmm. One of them is sports. Today, if you look at the, the um, 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 teams in Africa, I mean, in, in football, for example, they compete at the global level. Yeah. Why? Because they have gone down to a very early stage of this sportsman's life and trained them and coached them to play mm-hmm. football the way it is played all over the world and scientifically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, uh, what's his name? Sadio Mane that plays for Liverpool comes from Senegal in one village. Yeah. But why is he playing so well in the Premier League in, in, in the UK? Because at a very early age, he was sent into a football academy and mm-hmm. trained the right ways of playing football. Mm-hmm. So if we want to wipe out corruption, we need to go down to that age, those, that, those kids that are yeah. going to school, and teach them that, look, you don't have to do this. Because, look, if you, if you are being brought up by your parents that are corrupt, your teachers that are corrupt, Something goes for the school and they, so you think it's the norm. Exactly. That's it. That's what you That's know. It. So mm-hmm. we need to, honestly, and that can only happen in Africa with luck, where you have a leader who's determined to change things and he builds a team that believes in the state. Yeah. And then it is now taken through the system. Because so much is that we are seeing now in Africa. It wasn't like this some 30, 40, 50 years ago. Our mm-hmm. founding fathers were not like this. Mm-hmm. They were not mm-hmm. as greedy as some of the leaders that we see today. Some mm-hmm. of them, you look at their accounts. They never, they never. By the time they retired, they could even they would hardly run their lives. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But today, you go into 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 into, into political office. One term on four years, you have been called a billionaire. Exactly. So you know, yeah, and then people people adore you. They fly private jets. They have mansions. Where have you made the money? And you expect these kids to do otherwise? So the only way to solve it is to make sure we teach these things to the young ones that are coming. Right. Yeah. You know, good values of leadership. So, and one of them is honesty. That mm-hmm. it's, you should be proud uh, to be honest. You should be contented. You know, at times, Florence, it doesn't make sense. It simply doesn't make sense the amount of wealth that our people are immersing. It now, doesn't. when I talk, the last time I talked about it, you talk, you talk like a socialist or a communist. I said, no, this doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't just make right. sense. Right. You know, I mean, I, I want something good. I mean, I, I will fly business class. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I will not fly economy. Exactly. But I am not crazy about getting a private jet. I, sure. I want to be comfortable when I fly. Mm-hmm. I, I want to wear a nice watch. But I will mm-hmm. not have 5, 20, 15, 20 watches everywhere that comes out to buy it. Mm-hmm. I want to wear a nice suit. Mm-hmm. But I need to work out how many times do I wear a suit? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but some of them, you'll find them, they, oh, no, no, they want you to go from, to the best um, um, t- um, uh, tailor or designer from France, and they will tell you, oh, I bought a suit for $10,000 or $15,000. It doesn't make sense. And this is public money. Yeah. Yeah. And people adore you for these things. They adore you. You see the young ones looking forward to be like you. So really, we need to reset the button. Yeah. And the way the button will be reset is that I believe for me, my own thinking is that we must be lucky. A country must be lucky to have a leader that is patriotic, that loves his country, and mm. also, you know, wants to do wants to do good. Mm. Mm-hmm. So just don't love their country, all they see is themselves. Yeah. And actually, I think it comes out of, I am, it's sad to say, out of luck. Because at times, things don't make sense. You have all the equation right. Everything funny formula, but it goes wrong. You have somebody who's educated, a professor in economics. He's done this, he's done that. You know, you list it all and you think, okay, if he sits there, he'll perform. And he fails. You know, you have somebody else completely opposite. And you think he suffered so much. And when they I think they are completely different from us. They think completely different. So we pray that our new leadership in Africa, they will think different. They will be contented. Yeah. Saying, okay, yeah. this is enough. You have to say it's enough. Like, mm-hmm. like food. There's a limit to what you can consume. Exactly. So, so uh, <laughs> this is a great this is a great segue into one of my questions. That is um, a mindset hack. So you've kind of hit on it, but what would you say would be a most necessary or something that you actually practice as a mindset hack? Well, you know, you know, you know, one of the things I do is I love my loneliness. Like, like here now, mm-hmm. I am in, in Port Harcourt and um, um, uh, in my flat. Uh, you know, it's not the best of time all the time, but it makes me think. You know, I get my my my. Um, uh, uh, my inspirations uh, from my loneliness. Mm. I go to the beach every time. I, I jog and walk. These days mm-hmm. I jog a little bit. I mean, not much. But I walk a lot. I walk for a distance. I yeah. clock about 12,000 to 15,000 steps every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm on site, I love that. I mean, I, I dress very comfortable. I mean, I'm always, most of the time, I'm on my t-shirt and my and my 
my my at leisure. Jeans yeah. time these days, you know, you know, at leisure. So, yes. so I'm really comfortable where I wear. I wear sneakers, you know. So on my side, for example, if I do three rounds of work around my site, yeah. it's about twelve thousand steps. Okay. So, so I get. I mean, if I'm in the Gambia, I go down the beach. Okay. When I'm on the beach, I get my inspiration, the waves, the water, you know, it's, mm-hmm. so that's where I get my inspiration. Okay. I don't need okay. it, you know, and, and funnily enough, at times, I, I mean, it comes, you know, because my mind is always at work. Yeah. At times I can be sleeping and just wake up and something comes up in my mind. So I grab my phone and just type it there or scribble sure. it. Yeah. At times I'm, in the, I'm under the shower and something yeah. just comes up. Yeah. You know, so it's like been, it's been sent from above or whatever. But my mm-hmm. mind is innovative. It's always working. Mm-hmm. At times I'm watching, watching a movie, watching a TV, and something just goes, I say, hold on. Okay, look at that, that way the way the shop is done, the glass. Wow, that looks good. And that, that's an inspiration. Sure, right. I've been by to you, you are wearing your headphone, the way you on your hair, whatever. <laughs> So as I said, really, for me, the word is freestyle. I mean, I live in a world, especially at my age, where I just, I am floating in the air. Yeah. Very open-minded. Wonderful. Wonderful. Wow. This has been so great. I could obviously speak to you for a long time, but I don't want to take too much of your time. So before you kind of started to talk about a little bit more about your everyday, but I like to ask a question about what you're reading, watching, or listening to these days. I watch YouTube. I, oh, okay. I must be very honest. I must be very honest. I'm not a good reader. I mean, people say, oh, no, you have to read, you have to do this. But, you know, technology today, technology has helped us. Yes. So I have an innovative mind. So yes. believe me, even when I read, I mean, I, my mind can just, you know, go off somewhere. Off. I'm thinking yeah. about something else. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but these days, what the tool that I use most of the time is YouTube. Because mm-hmm. anything I'm interested in, I just type it in, you know, and then mm-hmm. and it comes up. Mm-hmm. Like recently, for example, we're developing our golf course. Yeah. So we needed to get experts to come and design the golf course. And I said, wait a minute. Why should I pay all the amount of money to a professional designer? Okay, we got somebody from, from, uh, from, from Port Harcourt here. And all I did was every evening, being lonely here, I just Google up, you know, building up golf courses. And just, you know, whilst watching it, you know, I stumped into so many things. The way Tiger Woods designed his own golf, his private golf course. You know, sure. today, that's what the world is all about. Technology is at our fingertips. Yes, yes. So um, I, nowadays I'm into media. I mean, I don't know whether you saw my, my YouTube channel. I started yes. last week a YouTube channel. Yes. So yes. everything I'm doing is about media now. I mean, I invested a lot, you know, on quality, messaging. Because I think that the best way to reach out the world today it's through the internet. It's through social sure. media. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I did, I did, um, um, uh, you know, what in Maya, I'm so Ghana boy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He did something on me and it went viral and um, it's trending now at about 1.2 million views. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so really, look at the power of this. And I've, I've had people reaching out to me from all corners of the world. You know, um, we in our graduation um, about two weeks ago, I had a Gambian pastor who was the guest speaker. And uh, he spoke so eloquently and so well that two days ago, somebody said, hey, look out. Akon has, you know, um, um, posted this guy's part of his speech, you uh-huh. know, on Instagram. Akon has 7.5 million followers. Right. 
And right. in that speech, he mentioned that, you know, make tough proud, make tough Africa yeah. global proud. So, yeah. you know, yeah. that is the power of social media. So this yeah. is something that we are occupied now. Okay. How do I increase my followership? How do I increase, you know, using social media? Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I thank you for allowing me to be part of that chain of, of information. You're welcome. And we look forward to seeing more. So um, we always have really good show notes. And so everything about your new channel, the foundation, your projects, we'll have links to that in the show notes, how to build a golf course <laughs> on YouTube. So I want to thank you so much, Mr. Mustafa. I very much appreciate it. And I hope that, you know, if I, I have a vision for doing some solution salons, so maybe you can join us on another conversation with other, other guests to talk about solutions in, in Africa. Well, thank you so much, Florence. I mean, it's been a pleasure. I mean, I, I love um, um, meeting up, networking. And today, probably it's because of COVID that we are now, we know all these um, mediums we use. You know, yes. this is Squadcast. I mean, it's something new to me. You yeah. know, I've been using Google Meet. I've been using Zoom. You know, but but this is what the world has done for us. So for me, yeah. for example, on, on COVID, not everything that happened is COVID is negative. I mean, most of these things that, would, that are happening now would not have happened if COVID didn't strike. That's true. You know, That's some true. of the meetings that have been going, okay, some industries are suffering. But mm-hmm. probably, I mean, when I, when I, if I were to go to a meeting in Nairobi, Kenya, it will cost me about $10,000 to go there and deliver a statement as a panelist. Today, mm-hmm. it's done virtual. Mm-hmm. It's done from my bedroom. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yes, the hotels are crying. The... Um, yeah. Airlines are crying, but again, yes. innovation. So it's a pleasure to 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 meet online. And um, yes, I am looking for more followers, you know, on my YouTube channel. So let yeah, yeah because I, I wish to communicate everything I do now through my YouTube channel. I think okay. I have a lot for the world to hear, especially the young Africans. Yes, there's a lot they can learn, you know. And I I would love to share. I love to Wonderful. share my experience. It's 45 years experience, it's, you know, and I'm still active. So nice. I have a lot to share. Wonderful. And we'll, we'll be looking out for that. So that's going to do it for this episode of Local Citizens. Listeners, thanks for joining us. You can catch us each and every Tuesday with a new episode at www.localcitizenspod.com on Google Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. Subscribe, tell a friend, and give us a comment. We'd love that. And until next time, bye for now.